Well, good morning and greetings to the Saints in Brantford, Connecticut, coming to you from Rhode Island. I need to forewarn you, I have never made a video before, and it's disconcerting to see myself on screen, so I'm going to hide myself here. <clears throat> Went and bought a camera today, I've never used it before, but hopefully the Lord will be overriding my incompetence this morning. Well, let's continue in the study of Daniel this morning, picking up in chapter 3, verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, and lyre in symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, etc., and if you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, <clears throat> Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, 
and he will he, he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, <clears throat> let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. <clears throat> Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be with me this morning as I expound upon this passage in a new medium that is so unfamiliar. I pray that you would teach us <clears throat> from the example of these three godly men how we should respond to ungodly leadership, even in our own times. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our passage this morning, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego give us an example of how we should respond to God's blessings and to God's trials, particularly dur during times of trial and hardship. They provide an example of how we should respond. Nebuchadnezzar, by contrast, gives us an example of how we should not respond. Now, you have <clears throat> recently been studying about the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had of the giant statue with the different types of metal and so forth. It has been about 20 years somewhere in the order of 20 years since he had that statue dream. So we should not think that, we shouldn't picture that Nebuchadnezzar has had that dream and has then come up with this not very brilliant idea of making a statue of his own and went right out and built one. We don't even know for sure if this um, image that he created was a statue. It is only referred to as an image here. And it is about 100 feet tall by 10 feet wide. That would be very strange dimensions for an image. We tend to picture that he has um, built a statue of himself or of a man or something, but I, I doubt that's the case. We might do better to picture the Washington Monument, a tall obelisk of some kind. The furnace that is referred to in this chapter was probably a giant kiln that was used to make bricks. <clears throat> this was an industrial furnace. Uh, Babylon used a lot of brick in their architecture. And the ones that I looked up online were shaped kind of like an upside-down funnel, like those, those chiminea, um, backyard barbecue, things that people use that are very popular today. But unlike those chiminea things, the running temperature of these brick kilns was somewhere between 1,600 and 2,000 degrees. They were very, very hot. It was interesting, as I was preparing for this passage, I found some commentaries that actually claimed that Shadrach and Meshach and Shadrach and his friends found a cool place to stand inside the furnace. Right, a cool place. Maybe they found a place that was only 1,000 degrees cool. In Nebuchadnezzar, <clears throat> in our passage today, we see a growing pride. Now, God had told Nebuchadnezzar that he and his kingdom were the golden head on top of that statue that he dreamed about in the previous, in the previous chapter. God was telling Nebuchadnezzar that Babylon <clears throat> was the greatest nation in world history, at least the greatest nation from that time onward. I'm not commenting on previous uh, societies before Babylon. 
But now we see Nebuchadnezzar creating a real image, a real statue or a real obelisk of some kind. And the whole thing is made out of gold. In his dream, at the top was gold, but then it degenerated into iron and so forth down to clay. We are the clay. We're living in the, the weakest time of world history. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> in a sense, Nebuchadnezzar's statue or obelisk, whatever it is, is actually better than the one that God showed him in his dream. His is the only kingdom. There are no kingdoms coming after him. It's all entirely made of gold. He is, he sees himself anyway, as the only world ruler with no kingdoms that are going to follow upon his. Now, God clearly told Nebuchadnezzar that his kingdom would be followed by many other nations. But his own pride <clears throat> has led him to think that he can do more than improve on God's plan. He's going to improve God's plan, but he's also intending to thwart God's plans. Notice in verse 15, he says, If you do not worship, you should be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Nebuchadnezzar has actually set himself above God. He thinks that even God cannot prevent him from doing whatever he chooses to do, doing what he thinks is best. Now, we're not told that there was a specific connection <clears throat> in Nebuchadnezzar's mind between the dream that he had and this image that he has made here, but we are told that he's using his authority to force people to worship Nebuchadnezzar's own creation. And this amounts more or less to the same thing. He's setting himself above God himself. He's invented his own religion. Notice in verse 4. A herald cried aloud to you, it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that you shall fall down and worship this image. Nebuchadnezzar has commanded the whole world effectively to worship him, and he gains their obedience by force. In verse 6, whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar's pride in this passage leads him into terrible rage and anger, and in future passages you'll see that it ultimately leads him into madness, insanity. But go back to chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 5. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. Now, I can understand why he told them they had to tell him the dream, to make sure that they weren't charlatans, fakes. But he goes way above and beyond by threatening to destroy their whole families. Chapter 3, in verse 13, <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring the three friends before him. Skip down to verse 19. I know we're getting a little ahead of our passage, but 19, Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. His pride has led him to irrational rage and anger. <clears throat> God had said that he was the world's greatest ruler, but now 
his pride and his anger are threatening to make him an irrational tyrant. I'm not threatening to make him. He has become an irrational tyrant. And his responses to everyone around him are irrational. There's an irony here. The irony is that pride actually debases a man. It does not elevate him. Now, the world tells us all the time that it is good to be proud. It is good to have pride. We should have high self-esteem and all the rest of that. But God's word tells us that pride brings a man to destruction. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar's pride swelled because he was a great king. And the result is that he is becoming a very bad king. Pride ends up destroying the very thing that made us proud in the first place. There's the irony. A man who becomes proud of how popular he is ends up having no friends because people can't tolerate his arrogance. The fact is, if Nebuchadnezzar, who was a great king, if he was susceptible to pride, then so are we. Imagine if God gave you a dream in which he told you that you are the world's greatest fill-in-the-blank. If you're like me, you're going to watch the Super Bowl later today. It's tomorrow for me right now, but I hope to watch the Super Bowl with my friend Dave George and his wife. And I like Tom Brady, but Tom Brady is being heralded today as the greatest of all time. That's a terrible thing to give to a person, to, to build his pride, to lead someone into the temptation of becoming proud. I know that if <clears throat> I was the world's greatest anything, I know I would become arrogant. So we can understand how this might have happened to Nebuchadnezzar being told that he is the greatest king of, in world history from that time forward, <clears throat> at the very least. Now we could be tempted to say, but Nebuchadnezzar was a great king. I'm nobody. And the moment we say that, we become proud of how humble we are. Remember what Jeremiah says, the human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. How can we know it? <clears throat> the fact is that pride is at the root of our thinking any time that we do our own thing. Every time that we ignore God's word, we are acting in pride. And the more we do so, the more pride grows within us. And the danger of pride is that it leads us to imitate the devil. It leads us to set ourselves up as equal to God. Lucifer committed the first sin. He told the first lie. He said, I shall be like God. That is pride. So Nebuchadnezzar is an example of how we should not respond <clears throat> excuse me, to God's blessings and discipline. <clears throat> Each time we refuse to humble ourselves before God, it becomes harder to do so in the future. And God's lessons and discipline become more costly. If Nebuchadnezzar is a bad example, Shadrach and his friends are a good example of how we should respond to both blessings and trials. These men had suffered hardship by being carried to Babylon as Prisoners of war, go back to chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 3. The king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, 
to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them, whoops, is that right? Yeah. Down to verse 5, the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now that all sounds fairly pleasant. It sounds like they are being elevated, and they are. But the fact is they are still prisoners of war. They're prisoners of war, and yet God allowed them to secure good jobs, and they became part of the king's court. Yet in that sudden prosperity, they've been elevated from their lowly status of being prisoners to being officials in the king's court. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and indeed Daniel himself, did not become proud. In that sudden prosperity, they did not indulge themselves. In verse chapter 1, still in verse 8, <clears throat> Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. And he requested the king that he might not defile himself. <clears throat> Daniel's resolve, and we can assume that Shadrach and his friends made the same resolution, led to a time of testing. And yet Daniel and his friends stood firm in their obedience to God's word. And God blessed them even more than before in chapter 1 still, verse 19. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and therefore they served before the king, and so forth. God has blessed them through their times of trial because they remained obedient to his word and did not become proud and puffed up. <clears throat> now Shadrach and his friends <clears throat> were very important men in Babylon, back in chapter 3, verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. They were high-ranking officials. <clears throat> and yet, suddenly here, they find themselves confronted by a major test. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have remained faithful to God through times of blessing. Now they are going to remain faithful to him through a time of terrible testing. Before we go on, it's interesting to note that there was no protest or outcry against the king's decree. Now imagine if the Queen of England were to suddenly build a golden image and command everybody in Great Britain to fall down and worship it. The whole world would erupt in protests, not just England. There'd be riots, demonstrations, protests in the street. The United States would institute sanctions and embargoes. The United Nations would send a peacekeeping force. Or would they? Would those things happen if the Queen of England were to set up a statue and command the world to worship it? Notice verse 7 in chapter 3. So at that time, 
when all the people heard the sound of all the musical instruments and so forth, all the people, all the nations, all languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The whole world obeyed King Nebuchadnezzar's wicked command and bowed down and worshipped the golden image. Nebuchadnezzar is demonstrating here that the prophecies in the book of Revelation will come true. The Antichrist is going to create an image of himself of some kind. We don't know yet what that's going to be, how it's going to play out, but it is going to happen. He's going to create an image of himself, and the entire world is going to worship it. This is not at all improbable, because it has happened before. It is happening here in the book of Daniel. There's no record here that anybody openly objected to the king's decree or refused to worship the idol. Only Daniel and his friends, and probably other Jews who are not mentioned. But notice also that Shadrach and his friends did not make any public protest against this either. They did not march in the street. They did not go on the radio and on TV to speak out. They didn't write letters to the editor. They didn't post on the internet. They didn't need to. They did not need to make a public protest. All they needed to do was to obey God. And the devil's attention was immediately turned on them. In verse 12, we see that, well, it's actually in verse 8, it's certain Chaldeans. We don't know who they are, but they're important men in the government of Babylon. The moment that Shadrach and his friends obeyed God's word, the attention of the devil's people was turned immediately upon them, and the devil sought them out. We don't need to make public protest against ungodly government. We need only to obey the word of God, and they'll come looking for us. Now, the fact is that even then, in this situation, Shadrach and his friends could have saved themselves easily. All they had to do was compromise, and they would have saved themselves. Or, at least, that's what the devil wants them to believe. But notice, Nebuchadnezzar offers them an opportunity to avoid this whole situation in verse 14. He says, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of all this music, and if you fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, good. Everything will be okay. The fact is, we'll learn later in the chapter that Nebuchadnezzar actually likes these men, and he doesn't really want to throw them in the furnace. It would have been so easy for Shadrach and his friends to accept this offer of pardon and to avoid being thrown in the furnace. They only needed to bow down outwardly. They didn't need to really pray to the image. They could have excused it by inwardly worshiping God, using this opportunity to have their own quiet time. While they're bowing down outwardly, they're inwardly worshiping the Lord. These men were in high positions of influence. They could have done much good for other Jews and for Babylon as a whole. They could have been lights in darkness. Their lights were about to be snuffed out. 
It could have been salt in a nation of decay. All they needed to do is stay alive. Don't rock the boat. Don't make an issue. Maybe this is the very reason why God gave you these jobs in the first place, so that you could stay alive and be a light to the darkness around you. There are so many arguments and so many justifications that we can make for compromise, and there is only one argument that we can make for obedience, and that is, God said it, so I will do it. That's the only argument that we can make for obedience, but we can make up so many arguments for compromise. It's also worth noting in passing that there were many Jews and Christians during the 1930s and 40s who used these very arguments to cooperate with the Nazis in Germany and in other nations, but they did not escape the concentration camps regardless of their compromise. God does not call us to make public protests against our nation's wickedness, but he does call us to obey his word and to not compromise with the world. In the long run, we will not have to march in the streets against evil because our quiet obedience is what will have the greatest influence on the world around us. When Shadrach and his friends were dragged before the king, they did not insult, they did not accuse, but they also did not back down. They merely explained why they refused to bow down to this image, and they stuck to their guns, continuing to refuse. Verse 17. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Shadrach and his friends had absolute faith that God would prove faithful to them. They knew that God could overrule anything that Nebuchadnezzar tried to do. But they also knew that God might choose to have them die in the furnace. The outcome was 100% in God's hands. Their job was only to obey God's word. But note the result of their obedience. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to take a peek at the next passage. Verse 25. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. The result of their obedience is that these men actually walked with God. They bore testimony to the world's most powerful king and to his court, testimony of God's redeeming power. Verse 26 Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Nebuchadnezzar now recognizes that these men serve the Most High God. The fact is, Nebuchadnezzar still thinks there are many gods, but the men's testimony has moved him one step closer to knowing the true God, 
whom he will come to know in a later chapter. We won't look further in the future passages, but the fact is that ultimately the whole world learns of God's power as a result of the obedience of these three men. By their obedience, these men have accomplished everything that the devil was promising they would accomplish by disobeying. The devil was promising that they would live, that they would become salt and light, that they would become a beacon in the community around them, that the whole world would learn about God if only they disobeyed. They obeyed, and the result is that very thing did happen. But it happened because they were obedient to the word of God. This story has a happy ending, but it might have had, well, we would call it a tragic ending on the surface. They might easily have been consumed by the fire in that furnace. It would still have been a happy ending. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, I'll begin reading in verse 32. <clears throat> and what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, <clears throat> worked righteousness, <clears throat> obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts in, and mountains, <clears throat> in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. <clears throat> the fact is that God does call some of his people to suffer for the gospel. There are believers around the world right now who are facing prison or even death in China and other places around the world. But compromise does not bring a testimony to the world. God's name is glorified by our obedience, not by our compromise. Also, not by our protests against the world's wickedness. God does not call us to either extreme, to compromise or to vocal protest. He calls us to quiet obedience. Notice, in, still in Hebrews, in verse 34, <clears throat> Out of weakness, they were made strong. We saw Shadrach and his friends telling King Nebuchadnezzar in 
Daniel 3, our God can deliver us. They were powerless to save themselves, and they recognized that. They did not attempt to resist this wicked dictator. But they had absolute faith that God would deliver them if it was his will to deliver them. The fact is they had faith that he was going to deliver them one way or another. The deliverance might have come through their death rather than this miraculous uh, salvation through the fire. But Shadrach and his friends refused to compromise. They are going to fight back. They are not going to fight back, I'm sorry, but they also will not disobey God. The fact is that that is the way that believers fight back. We fight back against the world's wickedness by being faithful and obedient to God's word. Why do we do this in verse 35, still, uh, uh, still in Hebrews 11? That they might obtain a better resurrection. Remember, every human being who has ever lived will one day rise again. Later in Daniel, you will read, everyone will rise again. Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, all, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. We have the better resurrection. How did they accomplish this? How did they remain faithful to God and obedient to his word? In verse 39 of Hebrews, all these having obtained a good testimony through faith. That is how Shadrach and his friends obtained the better testimony. It was their faith that carried them through. They had no guarantee that God was going to miraculously save them from the flames. But they did have an absolute guarantee that God would be faithful. God's faithfulness is absolute. When we obey his word, he will not fail to bless us. Now again, this blessing, quote unquote, might include suffering. It could even include martyrdom. It might not include a dramatic, miraculous rescue from suffering as we see in the book of Daniel time and time again. <clears throat> But it absolutely will include being preserved from the power of the enemy. And in Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar is serving the wicked one. He's serving the evil one. And yet, Daniel and his friends were preserved and protected from the power of the evil one. These three men yielded their bodies to be burned, but the fire had no power. Not a hair was singed on their bodies. And it tells us later in the chapter of Daniel 3 that even the clothes they were wearing was, were unharmed and didn't even have a whiff of smoke on their clothing. In a small way, these three men were like Christ. We're told later in Daniel chapter 3 that they yielded their bodies, just as Jesus Christ yielded himself voluntarily to death. Shadrach and his friends could have opted out, but they voluntarily chose obedience instead. <clears throat> when Jesus redeemed us, he redeemed us utterly, completely. And the day is coming 
when we will be like him in eternity. I love that hymn. And is it so? I shall be like thy son. Is this the grace which he for me has won? The day will come when we will be just like Jesus. Our redemption is complete, absolute, utter. And in eternity, there will not even be a whiff of corruption or sin on our souls. We will be completely saved and redeemed and made new in eternity. And this is the ultimate reason why we want to remain faithful to God's word. We are awaiting that better resurrection. We are going to be like Christ. So let us begin obeying him faithfully now. Let's close with prayer. Lord, these men provide us a powerful example, and it's frightening to think of maybe being called to follow in their footsteps. I pray that your spirit would strengthen each of us, particularly me, to remain faithful to the word of God, even in these days we are living in now, <clears throat> which are not very hopeful. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that you would help us all to remember that compromise does not bring testimony. Obedience brings testimony. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope this has come out well. If it hasn't, I apologize. Wish I could be there with you all now. Please drive safely going home in the snow. And God bless all the saints in Branford.